Thank you, Pastor John. I am so honored to be here again this morning. Thank you for your kindness and for your hospitality. Thank you for being so welcoming. I feel right at home here in Middle Tennessee. If Jesus is exalted, I really mean it. I feel at home. And I've sensed that from the very first time I stepped onto this property all through last night and this morning. You are so kind and gracious. And Pastor, that's a reflection of your predecessor and now you. So I'm grateful for the sweet, sweet spirit that exists here. Thanks for praying for my little boy, Abraham. He had a much better night last night from his ear infection. And I really tribute that to the grace of God and so many of you wonderful people who remembered him in prayer. The truth is, all of us have needs. And I wish I were preaching this morning on something celebratory and joyous. I wish I was preaching on heaven or fun. But I can't escape what God has put on my heart to share with you because of some things that I've been praying through and teaching in my own church. So I'm going to talk to you this morning from the New Testament book of Acts chapter 4 on this subject. We respond to adversity with obedience and prayer. We respond to adversity with obedience in prayer. I want to ask you to stand up one more time. Let's pray this out loud like we did last night, Psalm 119, 18, asking God to speak into our hearts in this holy moment the words of life that he before the foundation of the earth knew we would need on today. Say this with me. Open my eyes that I might receive wonderful words from your law. Amen. God bless you. Please be seated. As you turn to Acts chapter 4, where we will read in verses 1 through 12. Again, I want to thank the singers for leading such high-quality worship. The worship team from this church, our quartet brothers from Tulsa. Man, what gifted musicians are in the house. It makes me look forward to heaven. It really does. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. We respond... To adversity with obedience and prayer. Listen to this first story in the New Testament book of Acts about the hostility that faced the church, deep persecution because of their commitment to the cause of Christ. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 1 of Acts 4. While they were speaking to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple police, And the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power or in what name, remember that from last night? In what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man by what means he was healed, 
let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by the builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people which by we must be saved. Would you hear verse 13 as well? When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Let's pray together. God in heaven, we cry out to you now in prayer for the Holy Spirit of God to arrest this moment and speak the words that you know we need to hear. I pray, King Jesus, that you would put your thoughts in my mind and your words in my mouth and that I would decrease and that you would increase. I pray for every person in this room or those who may watch online or those that may listen to the tape. Oh, Jesus, in this present condition where we are, would you speak the words that we desperately need to hear to know you, to trust you, to press into you, to cling to you in the crisis of the pain that we're going through. I think about the gentleman that prayed this fighting cancer. I think about those who were sick and fighting despair. I think about children who are in need and the elderly and those in pain who may feel all alone. I think about missionaries who need support and soldiers who are fighting overseas and I think about the people in this community who in the wake of the tornadoes are suffering, oh God, and needs that were completely normal and expected to be met just three days ago. Now they're wondering how they're going to get by and how they're going to put it together again. Oh God, somehow in the mess, receive much glory. Teach us to cling to you. For your love and your presence among us, O oh God, is better than life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I grew up under a man who was my pastor in middle Georgia named Rastus Salter. He pastored my home church in Warner Robins, Georgia for 49 years. One man, one church for 49 years. I remember Brother Rastus would say this regularly about storms and about hardship. If you're going through a storm, look out. If you're facing difficulty, look out. All of us are either in a storm, just getting out of a storm, or be careful, in just a little while, you're headed into another storm. Acts The book of the early church is really the story of miracles. There's answered prayer. There's Pentecostal power. There's divine healings in Acts. 
There's exorcisms. There's demons cast out in Acts. There's story after story of the church's growth, people receiving Jesus, people being saved. Again and again and again, we read this in the pages of the book of Acts. The gospel goes forth, testimony to the risen Lord, and the people believed, and many were saved, and the Lord added to his church. That's a theme that's repeated throughout Acts. When I read about these healings and these miracles and church growth, I read this in Acts and I say, Oh God, would you do that in my life? Would you do that in my ministry? Acts is the story of miracles. But if I'm honest with you, Acts is also the story of pain and adversity. Those miracles happen because the people are enduring crisis. In Acts 5.40, after the apostles preached the gospel, the Bible says they were flogged and beaten with rods and told to never speak the name Jesus in Jerusalem again. In Acts 7, we see the story of the first martyr, a man named Stephen who was a deacon who lived with faith and was full of the Spirit. He was drugged from the council and he was pummeled with rocks for his faith He was stoned to death. Acts 9 tells us that before the apostle Paul received Jesus on the road to Damascus, that he was on his way, listen to this, Acts 9.1, to breathe threats of death against those believers. He wanted to lay hands on them and kill them to stamp out the Christian movement. This is before we even get to the halfway point of the book of Acts. Acts 12.2 tells us that Herod turned against the church and had the apostle James beheaded with a sword. Acts 20.23, and I could tell you many more. These are just a few examples. Paul, after his conversion, as he's leading in ministry, says this in Acts 20.23. I do not know what faces me in the towns where I'm going to minister. I don't know what awaits me there except the Holy Spirit has assured me in every town where I preach there are chains and afflictions waiting for me there. So when I read in Acts about the miracles, I say, Oh God, do that in my life. But when I read in Acts about the crisis and the hardship... And the difficulty, it's as if Acts is reading into me, Jeremy, will you stand for Jesus in this? Jeremy, will you believe like this? Jeremy, if at great risk or peril to your family or your health or your future, is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus enough? When Jesus was preparing to explain to his disciples the cost of following him. This is the descriptive language he used, and he used this in all four Gospels. If any man desires to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his what? Cross and follow after me. Acts chapter 4 is the continuation of a story that began in Acts chapter 3. I'll tell it to you fast. Peter and John are on their way to pray. And as they're on their way to pray, they encounter a beggar who's 
seated outside on the front steps of the temple. The beggar, being lame, asked for money. Alms for the poor. Alms for the poor. Peter and John say with great faith, we don't have any money. But what we do have, we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Immediately, the Bible says, as Peter touches the man, the man's ankles become strong, his legs become strengthened, he stands, he's jumping, he's bouncing around. This becomes quite a testimony, what a display. Crowds start gathering, and as people start gathering to see this lame man who's been healed, Peter immediately takes advantage of the captive audience, and he goes, you're impressed with this? This is a piece of cake. Jesus, who was resurrected on the third day, he did this for the man, and he can do it for you as well. The Bible says many people, many people heard the gospel, and they believed. Before we look at Acts 4, I think about the takeaways that apply to my own life based on this story. They were headed to pray, Pastor John. They were on their way to pray. Interestingly, after Acts chapter 2, when Peter, this same guy, preaches, 3,000 people get saved. Yet the very next day, he's returning to the place of prayer. Peter, you're a preacher. You're powerful. You preach and people get saved. All the nations respond. And Peter knows he can't do it by himself. So the very next day, he goes to the place of his power. He continues to pray. I wonder what would happen in my life if I kept on praying. I wonder what I've missed in my life because I quit praying. Interestingly enough, Peter could have healed this guy anyway, spoken word. He could have said it and visualized it in his mind. But the text tells us he touches the man. He touches this dirty, lame beggar. Reminds me of Jesus who also touches people. A lot of times in the church, we don't want to get dirty. It's easier to hire the staff to do it or the deacons will do it or the preacher will do it. But God wants us to get our hands dirty. Interestingly, Jesus, after the greatest sermon ever preached, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, he comes down the mountain after preaching the most famous sermon ever preached. Matthew chapter 8 tells us this. After that sermon, there was a leper sitting at the base of the mountain. Jesus could have healed him any way he wanted. And what did Jesus do? He touches. Touches the man. Biggest need in my life, the biggest need in Woodstock, the biggest need in Lebanon is that Jesus touch people. Oh, he touched me. They say, "We we don't have any money, but what we have, we give. What do I have to give to Jesus? Think about that, Hillcrest Church. What do you have? So many times, this is what I hear, Pastor John. Oh, I I don't have much. Now, if I had more, I'd give it. I tell you, if I was rich, oh, man. If I was a millionaire, I'd pay this. Oh, man. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. What do you have? And what you have, are you giving? I hear so much about what I don't have. Hey, what do you have? And from what you have, are you giving? Because if you ain't giving from what you have, you ain't going to give if God gives you more. What do you have? I hear so much about what the church don't have, and we can't, and culture's hard, and it's tough, and Trump's going to be president, or Hillary was going to be president, or Bernie. It don't matter what we don't have. What do we have? And what are we doing with what we have? Because if we have Jesus, we got enough. 
There's power in the touch, the touch. It's amazing how they were willing to minister to one, which opened the door for them to minister to many. Immediately they get a captive audience, but would they have had the audience if they wouldn't have been willing to get dirty and touch the one? A lot of us want God to bless us big and bless us publicly and bless us on a big stage when we're not even willing to get dirty with one that nobody notices and everybody else walk past. Why should God trust you with ten if you've not been faithful with one? Peter and John take no credit. The crowd's gathered. Did you do this? How'd this happen? We did not do this. Let us be clear. Let there be no ambiguity. Jesus Christ of Nazareth healed this man. After this story, we get to Acts 4, and it's the story of the real adversity. Prior to Acts 4, things had come somewhat easy for the church, but now it's going to be hard. Now they're being threatened in a legal and public and personal way. And Acts 4 tells us how they responded. Peter and John are arrested. It's the middle of this sermon. Remember the continuation of the sermon they started in Acts 3? The Bible says in Acts 4, the temple police, the Sadducees, they rush in, they confront him. And the text says they're annoyed at the teaching of this resurrection from the dead. The word actually means to turn your face like, oh, I don't even want to see it. I don't even want to hear it. I don't want to... You've heard something that kind of makes you cringe and you oh, oh, just turn. That's the picture of these religious leaders walking in. They're annoyed. They don't, they don't even want their face to have to confront this message Peter is preaching. Verse 3 says they seized them. They put them in custody. And they spend a night in jail. What a night that must have been. Is he worth it? John, did we make a mistake? John, is this real? Verse 4 says, as he's preaching, more belief. And the number now grows to 5,000. It's this dualism, the commentators say. It's a picture. The more Peter is willing to suffer, the plainer, the clearer, the more public the gospel goes forth. A religion that doesn't cost you something isn't worth anything. A faith that can't be challenged and questioned is a faith you can't trust. So Peter is spending this night in jail. But the gospel can't be stopped. The next day, they're there in verse number 5, bringing out the big guns. Listen to this. The rulers, the elders, the scribes, Annas, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, the it's a pile of people coming to put Peter on trial. Big power, big power. This is the big guns. I mean, they brought out everybody. The whole cabinet's there. Two poor fishermen that followed Jesus is the only defense. They asked, by what power did you do this? How did this happen? Verse 8 says, Peter and John begin to reply, and they're filled with the Spirit. 
They didn't have a Bible. They didn't say, stand and turn to Acts 4, and we're going to tell you a story. They didn't have Lifeway curriculum. They didn't have notes. They didn't have anything but the Holy Spirit. It's reminiscent of Luke chapter 12, where Jesus, in trying to prepare them for the hostility that would come, remember what he said? He said, you will face time, brothers, when you will be beaten. You will be dragged from the synagogues. You will be mocked. Your lives will be in peril. Many will persecute you and say that they are doing it in the name of God. Luke 12, 11. But Jesus says, be encouraged. Don't you even worry what you're going to say in that moment. For in the moment that you stand to speak of me, the Holy Spirit will give you words. And here we see it happening. What Jesus told them in Luke 12 is coming true in Acts 4. And Peter cuts to the chase. Am I on trial because a lame guy got healed? He's asking a question that he already knows the answer to. Surely y'all didn't make me spend last night in jail and y'all aren't questioning me with the big guns this morning because I helped a guy that was poor. Now, the reason I'm on trial is because I believe that salvation comes from no one else. That Jesus Christ, who you by your law and by your sins hung on the cross, he is the cornerstone. And you've rejected him and you've not wanted to build your lives around his truth. Yet he's the cornerstone from which all truth is built. The text tells us Peter reaches this crescendo in verse 12. There's no other name. There's no other name whereby we're saved. Verse 13 says, these Jewish leaders are taken aback. Peter's uneducated. You can't make this up. I, I mean, this is the truth. Do you know what the word literally means in the original language? It means they think he's idiotic. It's where we get our word idiot. They perceive this fisherman's an idiot. This is literally what it's saying. They perceive He's just a fisherman that might be an idiot. Yet they can't deny the power that's on his life. This fisherman that the world says is an idiot, he's been with Jesus, and we can't stop what he's saying. The best evidence for Christianity is God on our life and God changing the lives of people around us. They order him. Don't you say a word. We're going to let you go this one time, but this is your warning. We're giving you a mulligan. Don't you talk about him anymore. And Peter respectfully says, walking out the door, whether you want me to or not, you be the judge. God knows our heart. We can't stop talking about this name. And he promises they won't be quiet. I could take the rest of the morning and tell you this, but I'm going to say it fast. The most amazing thing about this story to me, now this is crazy what I'm about to tell you. If it wasn't in the Bible, I wouldn't believe it. If it wasn't in the Bible, you could never convince me this is true. Peter and John spent a night in jail. They've been on trial. They've been told, if you say the name Jesus again, we're literally going to destroy you or kill you. They run right back to their Christian friends that had been supporting them in Acts 1 and 2. They gather together in a circle, holding hands, and a prayer gathering happens. Get this, and they don't pray like I pray. 
protect me. Oh, Lord, bless us. Help us to be safe. Oh, God, make us safe. God, you know it's hard. They don't say anything about safety. They pray this in verse 23. Oh, God, you know what we're facing. You know what we've been through. And this is our one prayer request. Give us boldness that if it ever happens again, even more will we be clear about the gospel. They do not pray for an easy life, an easy ministry, or an easy church. They do not pray that their sickness will get healed. They do not pray that, oh, make the heart go away. Oh, make it fun. Oh, make it popular. Help us out. They do not pray any. They say, oh, God, we know it's hard. You know it's hard. You promised it'd be hard. But you are better than the hardness. Help us be faithful and bold if it ever happens again. And I wonder... Am I willing to pray like this? Am I willing to be inconvenienced like this? How many beggars have I passed? Ah, oh, he's just a, he's probably got more money than us. Don't even look at him. Don't even look at him. Don't even roll the window. You know, you've been there. And when I'm challenged for my faith, Will I stick to my guns and not back down? Not a jerk. Not a, I, I, I hit you in the nose, say I won't. Not a, not a jerk for the gospel, but compassionate courage. When people ask me about my life, will I immediately put the attention on Jesus? If, if something good's happening in my life or something's noteworthy or being noticed, well, well, you know, I mean, I work real hard. You know, I mean, I got to tell you, I study. I mean, I, or will I, me, you think I did this? You, th- you, you think who I am and what I have is because of me? I'm the beggar that Jesus touched. Am I filled with the Spirit like them? Do I really want to be filled with God's Spirit? When's the last time I prayed, oh God, help me to love you more? I want to say this to you real personal, just from my heart. I don't know what we're going to face in this country as Christians who want to stand for the truth about Jesus. The devil knows what's happening at Hillcrest Baptist this week. God knows, heaven knows, you know. But realize this, the devil knows. And if you leave here, I'm going to be spirit-filled. I'm going to be a good dad. I'm going to pray with my kids. I'm going to stand for the stuff. I'm going to witness to my neighbor. The devil's going to go, okay. I'll see how serious about it you are. I'm not telling you to live in fear. Should we live in fear? No. But should we live on guard and sober? Yes. Here's what I told my church when I was praying through Acts 3 and 4 a couple of weeks ago. I really sensed God saying to me, Pastor John, Jeremy, walk close to Jesus and walk even closer than you think you need to. Walk close to me, but make it double close. Turn up your prayers. The book of Proverbs says the only guard we have in our life is integrity. The only person God promises to always protect is the one who stands before him and says, Lord, my life is yours. Make me square. Help me to have integrity. Here's what I mean. The church can surely expect opposition. 
we can expect that the devil's going to come against us in this generation, in this country. But be encouraged. Though the devil comes against us, we can also expect God will hear our prayers, answer our prayers, and help us in our time of need. God comes through in the clutch. Now, some of us are going through adversity today, and I don't want anybody to leave here wondering, what did he say? What was he talking about? I want you to know. Some of us are going through adversity, and it's our own stinking fault. Okay, what I'm talking about is Christian adversity. These guys weren't being persecuted because, you know, you use uh, live bait instead of plastic. No, these guys were being persecuted because they stood for Jesus. So if you're having hardship because you're a jerk or you're mean or you lie or you cheat or you've been unfaithful, don't be saying, oh, I'm going, you're going through it because you're a clown, okay? I'm not talking about that kind of adversity, all right? I'm not talking about that kind of adversity. I'm talking about the adversity that happens when we stand by our convictions in Jesus. And adversity is real to the Christian faith. Here's what I mean. Bernie Sanders said in an interview a couple of weeks ago, but on the Democratic platform, you can't even be taken serious unless you are vocally pro-choice and a supporter of Planned Parenthood. I know Beto O'Rourke is no longer in the presidential race, but you remember back in October, I I couldn't believe when I heard this, I had to watch it twice to be sure I was hearing it as a 38-year-old guy that's a pastor in America. Beto said on a Democratic panel, do you believe, Beto, that churches that will not sanction same-sex relationship should immediately lose their tax-exempt status. And without even flinching, Beto said, absolutely. If a church won't ordain or bless men and men and women and women, then of course they should look. And what was even more shocking was that the crowd in the arena where he was stood and applauded. We had a girl in our student ministry who was only 16 And a friend invited her to church, but she was from a staunchly Mormon family. She sat in my office and wept in front of our student minister and me, and she said, my daddy's told me that if I come to this church, when I turn 17, i got to leave his house, and he's not going to pay for my college. Teenager deciding, is it worth it? i got a friend named Danny who... When he got married several years ago, he was not a believer, neither was his wife. But since they've been married, Danny's become a believer, and he's very active in church. He wants to serve, and he's a great guy. And Danny's wife recently said, who has not come to faith, if you keep going to that church, I'm going to leave you. Is it? Is it worth it? I've got two pastor friends in Detroit, and... There's a Muslim community near their church. True story. Last year, Muslim gal came to faith in Christ. And this church rallied around this former Muslim and they supported her. But the family came on church property and they tried to pull her away at the time of her baptism. They even had to call the law to protect. As this girl, she chose to go through with Christian baptism at a Baptist church in Michigan where my friend is the pastor. Two weeks after the baptism, that Muslim girl went missing and she's not been heard from since. And because of threats against law enforcement in the community, the community's so tight-lipped that no one will say anything to law enforcement. Is it worth it? 
Is it worth it? Oh God, even on hard days, especially on hard days, make me faithful. I'm almost done. Paul said in Philippians 1.29, it's been granted to me and granted to you on Christ's behalf to suffer in his name. In other words, I don't understand this unless Jesus was resurrected from the grave. But suffering is beautiful and glorious. God gives us special grace. And even in pain, when we go through hardship, we continue to stand for him. Matthew 5, 11, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Jesus said, you are blessed when they insult you and they persecute you and they falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. This is in the Bible. John 15, 18, we shouldn't be surprised. Sometimes I hear about this and I'm, I'm surprised, I'm shocked. But Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind, it also hated me. And if you follow me, the world will hate you. 2 Timothy 3, 12, Paul says, in fact, all who desire to live a godly life, they will be persecuted. You're thinking, wow, appreciate the encouragement, Mr. Woodstock. Hope they don't invite you anymore. Here's what I'm saying. You and me and Lebanon and Woodstock, we're not going to be popular with everybody for this message. And our church is not going to be popular with everybody. And we can expect resistance. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, the word of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. But to us, it is the glorious power of God. The key to surviving this, verse 13, is spending time with Jesus so that God's power will flood your life and he'll carry you through the hardship. Are you disciplining yourself to get in God's presence? Oh, I'm just a fisherman. Great news. Oh, I'm just a single mom. I'm just a teenager. I'm just a grandparent. I'm old. I'm just retired. Those are just the kind of people God wants to show up and put his power and his grace. You know who, you know who God's not interested in giving great power to? The one that's like, hey, hey, God, I'll join your team, and I'll take me and you, we'll go play. You, uh, no, no, no. You know who God's going to bless? The people that go, I'm not worthy, I don't deserve it, but whatever you want to do, my yes is on the table. A good reminder. Oh, this is so good. This is, and I promise, I'm done with this. Land in the plane right here, right here. Do you know who Peter and John and these other apostles really were? Oh, this is so good. Do you know who Peter and John and these apostles were just two months before this story in Acts 4? Former failures. Who were these guys that God used in a big way in Acts 2, 3, and 4? They were the guys that just two months before Pastor John in Matthew 26 and 56 when Jesus took them into the Garden of Gethsemane and he said, can you pray with me one hour? Help me fight temptation. Pray with me. Three times while Jesus was praying, they all went to sleep. And then when Judas shows up and betrays Jesus with the kiss, listen to this, this is in the Bible, Matthew 26, 56, the Bible says as Jesus turned, all his disciples deserted him and ran away. This is who they are, former failures, but not now. 
because between the failure of their sin and the power of God's grace, Jesus took all their shame. Jesus took all their punishment. Jesus took all their guilt. He took all their shortcomings, and he went to the cross as their substitute. He received the penalty. But three days later, he was raised in power, and he said, gather in Jerusalem and wait on the filling of my spirit. Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I am going to use ordinary men like you to do extraordinary things. So Jesus fills them with power. They've been praying. They've been believing. Now they're obeying, and God does special things, even in their adversity, that would have never happened had they not prayed and obeyed. So how are you going to get through what you're going through? Keep on praying and keep on obeying. Keep on praying and keep on obeying. My family and I look for TV shows we can watch together, and it's hard. There are not many TV shows you want to watch as a Christian, and especially a Christian with three little kids sitting in the room. Our favorites are I Love Lucy and Andy Griffith on Netflix. My kids have recently gotten into, thanks to my wife, you ever heard of this Fixer Upper with Chip and Joanna Gaines? I mean, my, you talk about Fixer Upper. Hey, the Braves are on. Hey, the Falcons are on. Hey, uh, the Super Bowl's on. Eh. Fixer Upper, whoom, here they come. They love Fixer Upper. You know how Fixer Upper goes? Old Chip and Joanna bring some clients in and they say, here's what it is. Here's how much it's going to cost. Here's what we think we can do. You get what you get with what you're willing to pay. But you don't know what's going to happen, but Chip and Joanna do. And the more you say, I got it, the more they say, we can do it. Jesus knows exactly what it costs to save you. Jesus knows exactly what it costs to come to you. He says you're worth it. Amen. Do you believe he's worth it? Amen. He will fix you up. He will make you new. He will make you shine in a city that's facing a storm if you keep on praying and you keep on obeying. God bless you.